episode number 217 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording on October the 1st. Yes, it's October already, 2023. Uh, my name is Eric, host of the show, based in southern Ontario, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, not ham sandwich, and computer geek. Uh, as a first responder, witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events and started a small preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. I'm Scott, a first responder from Ontario. I like learning things and I worry about our fragile infrastructure. Yes, I like gasifiers. <laughs> and I'm Jeff, I'm based in Southern Ontario or Central Ontario, I guess. Um, I'm a target shooter. I'm also a ham sandwich radio operator, I guess, or not. Uh, general overall handyman and apparently a weather nerd extraordinaire. My name is Pierre, I'm a tactical beer donor based t-shirt guy, government critique, hater of all things forward, and the reason we hit the explicit button. My God, what do you say about that Ford thing? Anyway, <laughs> I'm Terry. <laughs> I live in sunny central Ontario, starving indie author, terrible hunter, pathetic fisherman, but despite, despite my questionable prepper skills, the annual prepper meets appointed me as their spokesman. want to help support the show embrace con consumerism there you go that was a big word buy some swag we have both the canadian prepper podcast t-shirt and the tactical velcro patch at prepperpodcast.ca all proceeds help keep the light the lights on and the backup generator fueled and cover our podcast costs and if you're enjoying the show please take a few minutes and submit a review on itunes or whatever you may have found us on and we seriously want your feedback, good or bad. Even if it's just a topic you want us to cover, something you've learned this week or would like to learn, email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. All right, so we've got some uh, radiating content for you in this episode. Yes, I'm reusing that one from ham episodes past, but it fits. <laughs> We're going to start off with some recent news articles, update you on our personal preps and what we've done since the last episode. We're going to get into the main topic. We're doing Ham Radio 3.0. So get ready to nerd out. I know I'm ready to go. All right. So news articles. Uh, so I've got one here. i got a couple, actually. And shockingly, they are uh, Ham Radio related. Uh, so one that goes back a little bit. It's uh, dated from January 31st, 2023. It's not that far back. But uh, talks about a uh, individual who was stuck uh, on some icy roads in Pittsburgh, uh, had an injured passenger, and uh, utilized a ham radio to obtain assistance. So it's uh, it's more it's actually a video um, like a news uh, segment that has posted that. So that was kind of neat. And then another one from the Guardian uh, talking, uh, the title is No Cell Phone, No Problem, uh, the Vintage Radio Enthusiast is Prepping for Disaster. So I figured they kind of fit in with the podcast here. And it's a really nice article. It talks about um, the Ham Radio Club in the United States and uh, a bunch of the setup that they have for radio equipment. And they get into some of the more vintage stuff, which is kind of <laughs> neat. Um, so it's uh, it's worth a read. I won't dive too deep into it here because we're going to get into a bunch of that stuff uh, later on in the show. But a couple of, couple of links for everybody to check out. And I've got a couple of them. Uh, of course, one of them being my uh, weather nerd extraordinaire type. Uh, New York is presently... 
I believe, still in a state of emergency over their flooding. Um, so for those that, that didn't hear, I believe it was Friday, they got um, an absolute excessive amount of rain. Like we're talking, they got about a year's worth of rain in 22 hours. Um, so obviously, with New York being more or less at sea level, uh, anything underground flooded, their subway, parking garages, tunnels, you name it, uh, anything that ventured even anywhere close to being below ground flooded out. Um, there were lots of water rescues by police and fire. Uh, at this point, I don't believe there's been anybody uh, that has died or had serious injuries from it, but there were a whole crap ton of people that, that caught, got trapped and couldn't get home from work. So um, just goes to show you never know what uh, what's going to happen. Um, the other article, uh, just kind of an information thing. So uh, two people, it turns out it's a husband and wife, uh, were killed today in a grizzly bear attack near Banff, Alberta. Um, I guess my, my thing would be, First of all, condolences to their family, and and that's that's nothing that we we want to have happen. But it says they're experienced hikers, but they didn't have anything to protect them from the bears. So they didn't have bear spray. They didn't have, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, they didn't have a hunting rifle or a, or a shotgun or some other means of bear protection when they're going into bear country. Especially at the again, like I said, condolences. I'm not. I'm not trying to say they did anything wrong, but when you're going into that kind of environment, you should be taking some kind of protection with you. You know, like I say, whether it's bear spray or or whatever. It, um, you know, you need some kind of protection. So. Hey, Terry. Okay. Well. One of my favorite politicians, Bill Blair, who happens to be our defense minister these days, has, uh, has been on the tube saying that they're looking to cut a, almost a billion dollars from our military's operational and training budget. Oh, boy. Yeah, like we can afford to lose anything. We haven't even got a bullet now to shoot anymore. But and here's, and here's the funny part, actually, Terry. It was, it was on the news today. They were talking about it, that it was less than two months ago at one of these big i don't know if it was the g7 or the g20 or, or anyways one of those things yep. where the government said that you know that the the number they want is every economy to give two percent of their gdp for for military spending and the, the federal government said we're not there but we're going to get there and now Two months later, they're saying, nope, we're cutting a billion dollars out of the defense. So, yeah, now this. Exactly. Yep. So, so yep. you got to wonder. That's the old double speak, eh? In, in politics? Never. <laughs> Come on. Oh, which reminds me, I dusted off my copy of George Orwell's 1984 again. I think it's time to give it another read. Probably <laughs> not a bad idea. Just, just yeah. watch the news. It's already playing out, buddy. <laughs> All right, so we move into what we've done lately for preps. We'll kick off with Scott. 
So, uh, my best buddy just bought a cottage about 90 minutes from me. Uh, sounds like a great bug out location as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so I've been looking at different amateur radio ideas to communicate between the sites. Um, so whether there's a repeater that's going to sort of be accessible from uh, my place and his place, uh, or if we're going to need to get into some uh, high-frequency NVIS stuff. Um, but the cottage actually comes with a CB radio that I believe they used to call in the guys from fishing. So I take that as a very good sign. Sounds like I might have to uh, grab a case of beer and come visit. <laughs> I, yeah, I've been playing around. There's some websites that you can plot lo uh, locations and it will look at the topography and see if you have sight lines to different uh, you know, different towers and that kind of thing and just playing with that. And uh, yes, you're more than welcome to come out for one of the, uh, the work weekends slash beer weekends slash fishing slash uh, <laughs> figure out some radio. Is fishing involved and beer involved? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I think Excellent. you can find some help. Yep. Absolutely. Hey, Jeff. Uh, where am I here? Sorry, lost my spot. Um, I finally uh, was able to finish up on the generator that I got for dirt cheap. It is uh, fully up and runs like a top, idles nice. It's loud, unfortunately, but it's what I was after for, uh, for a large size generator, so I'm not going to complain, and it, the price was right. Uh, I did uh, some fall yard cleanup, uh, one of many, I'm sure, because the leaves are just starting to fall and all that stuff. So there'll be many more to come, but I'm trying to get a bit of a jump on it if I can. Yeah, old man winter is a knocking. You wouldn't know it today, though. It's gorgeous out for October no, for, 1st. For, the, for most of the week, it's supposed to be nice there. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I was at the shop doing work stuff and I was just like, man, I'm sweating. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sitting on the forklift, like the forklift yeah. doing all the work. I'm like, but I'm <laughs> sweating, you know, like it's not even like I was breaking the sweat, but yeah, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't feel like October at all. No. But, uh, for myself, did a little bit of fuel rotation. So uh, I purposely bled down all the fuel stores here to nothing and uh, filling it all back up. So I got fresh stock for, uh, for the winter, for all the winter play toys. Uh, a little bit more property maintenance, getting ready for old man winter, like Jeff was kind of talking about there. Uh, revisited my Faraday box just briefly. Uh, it's been a while since I've really cracked it open or had a look at it. It's just been sitting here in the in the room and figured I'd have a look, reassess what I have in it. Uh, and then got in a quick uh, NVIS test with uh, two of the local uh, hams here that are in one of the uh, prepper groups that uh, go and chat every, uh, at least once uh, one Sunday a, week, a month. And uh, yeah, so we got together last night and did a little bit of testing with uh, an application called VerAC. So it's a, a digital mode over uh, HF radio and it's text chat basically. So you chat back and forth with your keyboard over the radio. So we're looking at putting it into a little bit of an MCOM type of setup and uh, using it for emergency purposes. So we did some testing last night, learned some lessons and uh, we're gonna do some more tests as we move forward. But we'll get into a little bit more of that later into the episode. Um, with the text chat, does it uh, basically log everything? So if you're not sitting on the radio, you can come in and sort of see the messages waiting for you? You can send voicemail messages or V-mail as they call it. So it wouldn't really be well, voicemail, I, I, but... I mean, more like if someone's not monitoring the radio 
Yep. You know, is there sort of a log of the messages? There so, is. Ooh, yep. There certainly is, and we're going to get into some distances and and some tests that I uh, that I did. Uh, actually, just before showtime here, I was playing around with it, setting some beacons out. So I've got a cool little screenshot to put up for everybody to see how far I got on uh, very low power. Very, very cool. Yeah, it's going to be fun cool. in a nerdy kind of way. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I didn't do too, too much. Uh, we did some more packing at the house, getting rid of stuff that we can deal without until we get the new place. Um, got a bunch of supplies from the house that like we don't need till the spring so we'll just pack it up in the camper while we uh plan to winterize that soon uh we were planning on doing everything for it but i'm like since the weather's still nice i was like maybe i won't tarp it up and everything get it all muggy in there so that'll be the plan coming up um planning the renovations um for the new place when we get it um I'm going to play handyman and hopefully not destroy more than what needs to be um but uh a person i work with was a contractor for 30 years and the wedding gift he gave us was uh, two weeks of whatever you need, you pay supplies. So me and him were chit-chatting the other day and we walked around and, you know, in the, in some stores and said, if you want to do this, it's doable. You need this. So, you know, I got a bunch of notes for when we go check the place out again, uh, get some measurements and see, and then hopefully get most of the supplies and do a quick reno and hope for the best. Very nice. Okay. For me, well, like Jeff and Eric, I did some yard fall cleanup. That was, uh, and the leaves are still covered down. And an attempt, in an attempt, I got to say, an attempt to bring my poor F-150 up to Gunny's high standards, I went out and sprung for a new set of tires for the poor thing this uh, this week. And uh, carrying on well, with that other advice. It's worth something now, and and I got one of them breaker bars and then the socket, and I put there that in go. there. So so now you know it's probably bordering on being overweight, but uh, <laughs> I'm I'm still falling way behind uh, Gunny's tackle there. It's uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I think everybody is. <laughs> yeah, and I'm off. I got an eye appointment tomorrow, so I'm I'm going to stop into Princess Auto and see what treasures they have in there for me, and. Uh, I uh, I'm going to do a Costco run since I'm in the neighborhood too because I I emptied out all my propane bottles or my big bottles and uh, filled up a number of those little one pound ones. I got one of those handy dandy adapters for uh, dumping because it just saves a fortune. Yeah. Yep, little bottles are expensive. So anyway, and Costco's the cheapest propane around. So going to top yep. up the tanks and, and we should be good to go i should be all set for hunting season i got 11 little one pound bottles filled up so that should you keep go. you going so that's it for me oh very nice all right well with so, that um, go ahead jeff no I, was, no I was just gonna say in the live chat uh for preps joan hmm. uh said that uh i have a wood stove on order installer measured my site last thursday so good for you nice. joan Getting uh, getting yourself ready for for the winter and having a, a proper nice. decent backup heating source, Very especially nice. while it's still legal. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming it's it's a wood like a heating stove as opposed to a uh, wood cook stove. Both are one is better uh, than not 100 percent sure. It just says a a wood stove, but I am going to assume the same as you. Your generic. Um, you know, 
like a Napoleon or some kind of a heating stove. So. All right. Well, with that, let's move into the main topic. So, uh, like I said in the intro, we are doing uh, Ham Radio 3.0 tonight. So we're going to get into, uh, in, in episodes past, we've, we've gotten into like licensing requirements and some basic operations. We did some live, uh, some live chat in the last episode where I actually got on air and, uh, and talked uh, to a couple operators and kind of demonstrated what things sound like. Uh, but we, uh, we had a Patreon member actually ask uh, if we could do or touch on uh, equipment recommendations. So example, like base stations, handhelds, antennas. Uh, is there different equipment requirements or equipment in rural versus urban areas? So I thought that was a fantastic question. And that, that, that is a, lot, a big rabbit hole that we could dive down. So uh, we decided to do a, uh, an entire episode on this. Uh, just go down that rabbit hole. We're going to see where it leads us. And uh, it should be a good one because this is always something that, uh, you know, ham operators like to battle about and say, you know, this brand's better than that brand or this one's better than that. And this antenna is better than this antenna. It's kind of similar to Gunny's view on, uh, on Terry's Ford, right? <laughs> so uh, we're just going to uh, go down that rabbit hole. If you want to yell at me for my opinion on something, by all means, go for it. But um yeah, we're just going to make some suggestions and talk down, just talk uh, talk down the road of some basics here and see if we can kind of answer that question. So first off, some terminology. You're, you're going to hear things uh, referred to uh, HT, so handy talkie, or just a handheld radio. Uh, that's a pretty popular thing that a lot of people will reference. And right away, they'll say, hey, you're getting into uh, the ham radio. You need an HT. And if you're a new ham or somebody who's just looking to get into ham radio, you're like, HT, what, what's what's an HT? So handy talkie, it's your handheld radio. Uh, base station is something else that you're going to hear. Oh, there you go. Jeff's got one on the screen there. So it's uh, that's a little TYT. Uh, all kinds of different brands, makes, models. Uh, that's a whole rabbit hole on its own. You can go down as far as um, which ones to get. Uh, and they do different things, but we'll get into that uh, a little bit later on down the show notes here. Uh, base station is another th term that you're going to hear quite a bit. Um, and a base station is something that stays in your shack. There's another term shack. What the heck's a shack. You're going to hear them refer to their ham shack. Um, that's the room or where they operate from. So technically where I'm sitting right now is my shack. It's also my podcast room, computer room. It's a multi-use room, but all my radios are here. My base station sitting right in front of me. I'll pull a picture up here in a minute and show you what everything looks like that I'm looking at in front of me here. Um, but I've got a base station right here in front of me. That's my, my HF system. It sits here. It doesn't move. It's big. It's clunky. Could I pick it up and move it if I had to? Yeah, of course. It's, you know, it's not that big, uh, but it's big enough that I like to leave it put here. Uh, got a couple of mobile uh, radios as well that are permanently mounted here, but uh, they're more designed to be, well, like I said, mobile. So installed in the vehicle, but they can also be installed in a shack. So some of the terminology kind of um, interchanges between usages. Um, so just because you've got a mobile radio or you, you see it advertised on uh, on whatever website you're looking at or whatever company you're at to purchase a radio, you see it advertised as a base station, doesn't mean you can't use it portable. And you see it advertised as mobile, doesn't mean it has to be mobile. It can be stationary in your primary operating location in your shack or your office or whatever you want to reference it as. Um, it doesn't, it isn't, so there, there, that's one thing that I found getting into this that was really, really confusing is I'd look at advertisements and be like, okay, I'm, I'm looking for, 
something for my truck and I want to get a, a radio to put in my truck and I'm looking and I see, okay, all these things are listed as mobile. So I assume that, well, okay, I can install those in a vehicle, but that's it. Well, no, I've got two mobile radios right here in front of me in the shack that are permanently here and can be powered here, no problem. They're just small and they're able to be moved around. Uh, like I said, base stations, again, same kind of idea. They're usually bigger, clunkier um, radios that are going to stay put. One good way to think about it, the little walkie-talkie is a low power. Your yep. mobile is a medium power typically, and your base stations tend to be higher power. I like it. I like it. That's a good way of putting it too. Yeah, because the, the, the HTs or the handy talkies are typically going to be in the range of about five watts. Uh, you might see the odd Chinese radio that says, hey, I'm eight or 10 watts. Don't believe them. <laughs> They're five watts too, most likely. Uh, there might be the odd one that actually puts out that 10 watts, but for the most part, your your handheld radios are going to be five. Um, your base stations, like Scott was saying, uh, those will probably, if you're, yeah, if you're talking uh, HF, those are probably going to start at 100 watts. Uh, you can move them around. Uh, so you can drop them down. Like my base station tops out at 100 watts, but I can drop it right down to five watts if I want. Um, and then if I really want, I've got the amplifier here and I can bounce it up to about 700 watts. But uh, that's for a, another discussion, a later a later ham radio episode. Uh, and then the mobile uh, usually, uh, and that's a good point, um, Pat and Bunker kind of mentions uh, what frequency are you running? Uh, so for the mobile, the mobile setups, uh, you can do UHF, uh, VHF, uh, or HF. So UHF, VHF is ultra high frequency or, or uh, very high frequency. Uh, HF is high frequency. Um, so there are different bands you can, uh, or different uh, different frequencies that you can use. Uh, UHF, uh, VHF is more uh, line of sight type of communications. So you have to be able to have a line of sight to whatever it is you're communicating to in order to be able to get your signal across. Uh, HF is where you get into the fun worldwide stuff where it's bouncing your signal off the ionosphere and it's coming back down and you can reach the world. Um, in the HF world, you can have mobile setups. So a lot of people, a lot of hams will um, have an HF setup in their vehicles, uh, a portable setup. So for moving around, uh, doing either parks on the air or just um, field day or some kind of a, a setup where you're not at your home location or your shack uh, and then base stations. So it's kind of interchangeable across what frequencies you're using, the terminology, uh, but you can use it. Uh, you can use UHF, VHF in a mobile or hand handheld or base station type of setup. Same with HF. So um, the, the terminology there between frequencies is interchangeable, but kind of same idea. Uh, and like Scott kind of mentioned, the, the power rating is kind of where things tie in. You're not going to see HF uh, really in the handheld world. Um, you might see it a touch on somewhere like the really high end, like Kenwood handhelds, but you're not going to see full-fledged HF on, on handhelds. You're going to be into your base stations then and your mobile setups for, uh, for higher frequency of the worldwide communication stuff. Yeah, a lot of handhelds tend to be either direct unit to unit or bouncing off a repeater in town. Correct. And that's uh, when you start getting in the repeators. Um, so the handhelds, uh, like I said, those are usually UHF, VHF. So they're line of sight communication. Uh, you're looking at either, like Scott said, radio to radio or repeaters. And a repeater is something that sits uh, like on the towers on my background here. You have an antenna somewhere um, that's attached to a repeating system 
And when you send a signal, if you have the line of sight to it, it then takes your signal and repeats it out way, way further. Because usually those are up high on water towers or some kind of a, a um, communications tower that your local club or an operator has permission to install an antenna and repeater on. And then it broadcasts it out uh, way, way further than your handheld ever will with a lot more power than what your handheld has. But your handheld's five watts is more than enough to get into that repeater, get the signal in, and then it repeats it out um, I said, with a lot more power. So um, that's usually where a lot of ham operators start out their journey as well, is just with a little handheld and a local repeater. And from there, you catch the bug. Because all of a sudden, you're communicating with people that are with within close proximity but some can be pretty far like we talked about a couple episodes ago when we went into our, our fish camp and i was able to from aurelia make contact with jeff who was just outside of north bay on my handheld through the repeater system right so depending on how things are set up you can make some further distance contacts with just the handheld and it's kind of the gateway drug for uh, for getting into the ham radio world and uh, they're usually fairly simple to use uh they might take a little bit of uh knowledge and programmed which is where having a, a local operator that's done it before can help you out uh, but then you can start your communications uh, just locally and then from there you can expand out um, okay so quick question go for it you were talking you know five <laughs> watts and going up so does wattage in this scenario like your 100 watt gives you more distance and like the power gives you more distance be able to communicate like compared to so, it makes you louder so it it the decibel like of your freak of your voice or your signal is louder so other people can hear you uh it does help with propagation as well as sending your signal out uh but it, it just bumps that level up so people can hear you uh especially in the hf world uh, in the uhf vhf world after five watts you're not really making that big of a difference it, it's all but, about breaking through so, the sound uh, or breaking through the uh, the noise floor so people okay, can so hear yeah if i yell in the five volt compared to talking <laughs> into something else does that help eh, it might help your radio modulate out a little bit more but if you're tapped out of five watts you're tapped out of five watts so, so it's, it's, it's clarity as well as what you're talking yeah. about right yeah okay that's that's a good way of putting it so see the the the, the amazing part was as, as eric mentioned about the the fish camp so i'm i'm out in an area of uh the middle of nowhere where there's zero cell phone coverage cell phones don't work you can't get a signal you can't i have a five watt handheld and i was able to communicate with him what 180 190 kilometers away like he was standing right beside me and that's because some you got on the repeater so it just yes. took your signal and but, but but i was still with, yeah. with this i was still what eric probably 30 kilometers 35 kilometers from the repeater yeah about that yep okay yeah so it works it works quite well uh there's a good question uh, ernie in the live chat is asking uh if there is an online course for this so there is uh radio amateurs of canada does an online course they do a fantastic uh fantastic online course they just started one up uh, at the end of september so it's it's already going uh, but if you keep an eye on their website, they, uh, they'll do another one. They've been doing them since the beginning of COVID, uh, all online. And I think they have one coming up in the next little bit where it just started. Um, most likely. We were, yeah. 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 Cause, uh, me and Brad are wanting to do this, but 
yep. with the moving i'm like i'm not i'm not doing anything until we get into the new place um because yep. we met a local hand guy which you you've seen the picture of his place he's got have, yep. everywhere and everything I'm so jealous. yeah now it looks fantastic oh yeah it's nice yeah no go there and we saw set up and you know he was doing whatever and we had talked about this so i'm like he's kind of you know like hey you know every every time we meet one of his buddies it's like hey these guys want to get it and they're yep. like where do you guys live so now they want to make sure those repeaters are up so i'm like okay we got to yep. do this so yeah he, he so was I, saying that the, the courses are just about to start yeah so i'd say uh ernie like the the current one just started end of september so keep an eye on the radio amateurs of canada site and they they run them quite often and it runs for a couple of i think it's about a month or two right jeff you went through it and it's uh, now you're muted. Jeff can't hear you. <laughs> Sorry, my so bad. Oh, good. Um, yeah, it was. It was, I believe, um, nine different weeks, and it's it was like two a week, so it was like a, a Wednesday night and a Sunday afternoon. Um, however, the beauty of it, which Eric May was about to get to, I'll steal his thunder. Uh, they don't really tell you this, but they record yep. all of them and you can go back and listen to the episode if there's a reason that you can't be there. And, um, yep. you know, the instructor was was pretty good. If you uh, missed it, you had questions afterwards, you could email him, he'd email you back. And um, I mean, he wasn't going to do that for the, the 140 people in the course. Um, that would be crazy, but if there was a handful of people that missed it, he would help out, and it was it was it was really good. The only problem was there were so many people in the course. Like I said, there, there were 140 people in the course that the knowledge level was from basically somebody literally knowing nothing to somebody who's pretty well way up there. And the problem was the people way up there were 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 asking more technical questions that were confusing the people at the bottom and he had to kind of clarify and say like look don't don't get ahead of me don't be asking me a question that's two or three chapters away just stick with what i'm on if you've already got it great just let it go and so i th i think the last time i i checked they've they've actually limited the courses to 120 people to kind Makes of sense. alleviate a bit of that problem it's a lot of people for one instructor. Yeah. And why do I have a feeling I'd be the one at the bottom that gets more confused than anything? <laughs> um, while we're on the topic, a lot of local ham radio clubs will off also offer courses. And, uh, you know, you're sort of sitting in a, a room with a bunch of mm -hmm. really intelligent people who know their stuff. And it's done on a volunteer basis but they're doing it because they love it and they really know their yeah. stuff and you meet some very yeah. cool people that way so it, yeah. uh, that's how I got my ticket and I really enjoyed it my buddy who's buying the cabin I want a gift certificate <laughs> him of course yeah, it's it's definitely worth reaching out to your local ham club and just look up the club in your area I would say probably 99% of the people in the club want new people to come out and they want to teach you and they want you to learn. And it's the best way to do it is to just reach out. Even if you don't have your license yet, reach out now because they will bring you in and get you hands on with the equipment and show you how to use it. Because they, they want people in the club, right? They want you to yeah. come in and contribute. And it's, yeah, it, I've, I've found 99% yeah, of the, the people in the clubs are, more than willing to help you out. There's always that 1% of people that are like, no, I don't want you, but 
just take those people and push them in the corner because the rest of them want you there. So, so is it good practice to bring like uh, uh, Dijon mustard or whatever to the first meetup? <laughs> and some ham, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, Joan's got a good question in the in the live chat. Uh, she says, "Do I need to have an external antenna mounted externally on my house? Uh, fairly flat terrain, but I'm in a bit of a hollow. So, having an antenna outside is always best because you're just you're away from everything that is in your house that uh and again depending on what frequency you're using as well if you're doing uhf vhf uh again that you're uh you might receive no problem but sending frequency out might be blocked by things like concrete walls or your wi-fi or anything else that's going to interfere with the signal Uh, as soon as you're outside there's nothing stopping that from going to where it needs to be uh, but outside's always best. If you can only do inside, well, hey, you know what? It's better than no antenna, right? But uh, if you can get it outside, absolutely get it outside. There's a lot of uh, ham operators who have restrictions in place where they reside and they can't have external antennas. Um, so they'll run uh, like wire HF antennas in their attics or they'll run them along the eaves troughs of their house or something like that. So they're hidden. So you can put them in the attic. You can uh, put them inside. Uh, just always outside's better, but it really depends on your setup so and test it out that's half the fun of, of getting into ham radio is experimenting and seeing what works and what doesn't um, that's how i started out was just a wire antenna in my office upstairs before i got banished down to the basement <laughs> and uh you know i had an antenna like a uhf vhf antenna just in the window and then i slowly moved from there and now everything's outside but um, it, it uh, yeah, and you're going to get this answer a lot it depends but start out with whatever's easy for you and then move from there. And uh, I mean, it also depends what your goals are. If you're looking to talk to a UHF VHF repeater in town, that's very different from trying to get uh, an HF setup where you're talking to Spain or an HF setup where you're talking one town over, but without line of sight. So it's, it's very, very dramatically depending on what your goals are. Like I find if I'm in like almost the center of my house and I'm trying to use the UHF uh, or sorry, the VHF repeater in town here, I can't, I can't get it. If I key up, the guys can barely, barely hear me. I can still hear them. They can barely hear me. I step out the front door. No problem. Clear as a bell. So it's, it's a lot of your environment that impacts uh, whether or not that signal is going to get to where it needs to be or whether your, uh, your walls or whatever else is in your house is blocking that signal from getting out. So a little bit of testing and experimenting. There's certain rooms in my, my house where I can transmit on my handy hockey or my HT and it gets to the repeater. No problem. But the center of the house ain't happening. So it's a lot of experimenting and kind of messing around to see what, uh, what, uh, what works for you and what doesn't. Uh, so touching on a few bits of equipment that you might want to look at purchasing when you first get started. And though I'm not trying to insult anybody or call anybody names here, uh, a dummy load. So what that is, is Thanks. it's literally, yeah. Okay. I was talking to you, Pierre. Yeah. <laughs> so what that is, is just something you can attach to your radio that takes the freak. So if you were to transmit, instead of it transmitting out uh, off your antenna out into the world, it transmits into the dummy load. 
So that's a way to test things. So if you want to see, hey, is my radio doing what I think it's supposed to be doing when I hit the transmit button, but I don't want to transmit yet because I don't really know if it's actually doing the thing, you can put a dummy load on it, transmit into the dummy load. It absorbs the RF that you've emitted or the radio frequency that you've emitted, and you're not actually transmitting out into uh, into um, the frequency space. So it's, it's something good that every ham should have. They're relatively cheap, uh, depending on what... Uh, what level you need, but if you're starting out, you can get one pretty cheap for just some low power. Uh, speaking of power, a power meter is quite handy to have as well. Uh, lets you know how much power you are putting out on your uh, either your handheld or your uh, your HF rig or whatever radio you've got. Uh, so again, if you want to test things and see how much power you're you're putting out, you can hook it up to the power meter, put a dummy load on the power meter. When you transmit, it goes to the meter, tells you how much you're transmitting power-wise. And then the frequency goes into the dummy load, so it's not getting transmitted all over the place when you're testing things. Uh, the power meters often come with a, uh, a standing wave ratio meter built in, which is a way of gauging how efficient your antenna setup is with the frequencies you're working on. Um, so depending if it's a tunable antenna, where there's a part you can adjust, short something, length something, whatever, uh, you can be more efficient if you sort of dial it in so that it's sort of hitting the, the perfect frequency and set up. Uh, so the power meters often include that feature also, if the radio doesn't. Yeah. That's right, they do. Basically what that is measuring is when you send, let's say you send 50 watts out and it goes out the coax cable up to the antenna, some of that power is going to be reflected back. So if your antenna isn't... Um, resonant or isn't set up to be completely efficient, it'll send more power back. So that power meter is going to tell you not only how much power you sent out, it's going to show you how much of that power is coming back at you. And if you're at a certain point, you're going to want to go and uh, modify your antenna or make some changes. Because if, uh, if your SWR, uh, your standing wave ratio, like Scott said, is high, uh, you run the risk of damaging your equipment but you're also not emitting frequency as efficiently as you could be, which means you're not going to be getting as many contacts as you could be, and your equipment's working hard for no reason. Uh, something else is crimping tools. So, and this is maybe a little bit later on down the road after you've uh, you've been bitten a little bit harder by the ham bug or you've eaten a little bit more of the ham sandwich. Uh, you're going to want some crimping tools. Uh, so that, those are for putting ends on uh, different coax, uh, putting ends on different wires. Uh, this is this comes more into play when you're starting to build your shack out and you want to actually permanently run some cables because it's a lot easier to get cables to where you want them without the ends on them, so the connectors, and then put those ends on once you have them where you want them. So having a good set of crimping tools makes that uh, way, way easier and make sure that the connection is uh, is good and solid. So you don't have to run out and get those right away. That's something to get later on down the road. So uh, you're suggesting, you know, that way you can drill a quarter inch hole, pass a wire through it. And then at the end, you have your wire in place. You crimp on the big bulky end so you don't have to drill a three quarter inch hole to pass that same wire through you and then it. cock the snot out of it to try and close it up. You got it. That's well, exactly that it. Attitude. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, so I, I mean, 
Joe's here, I'm the last person that should be talking about equipment for this. Um, but also a complete little side thing that if you start running wires, um, our friend down the road that's got a bunch of antennas or whatever, what he also ended up doing was um, he was able to, where he is, he trenched, um, trenched down a foot or two some PVC piping, run all his cables from all his antennas back to his house. So they're all encased, no rodents will get to it. If something happens where he forgets where the wires are, um, you know, taking some preemptive measures that if you're going to put an antenna, you know, 20 feet from your house, instead of just burying the wire, you know, getting those conduits from your house to there. Obviously there's a cost associated with it. You got to be able to get the trench dug and product in there but it, it and always go bigger than what you want so you have room for expansion yep. which i'm sure all of us oh, have yeah. done something where we're just like damn it i should have spent the extra 20 bucks right i'm already okay. eyeing up running more cable for a few more antennas <laughs> exactly right <laughs> to so, your point yeah. pierre it's kind of nice when you're running low voltage stuff or antenna stuff you don't necessarily have to do full schedule 40 electrical approved conduit if you're just looking to have a raceway so that you have something you can run through you know i know guys that run just sort of cheap water line that is you know a fraction of the cost of what proper conduit is but you basically just need to bury something robust enough that you can you know put a string through it there's a great trick um, that a lot of electricians use for that they'll take a, a string tie a plastic bag on it, shove it in the hole, and then put a vacuum at the other end, sucks the string along, you tie on whatever wire you want to feed through, you pull pull your string. Um, I like it. Typically when I do conduit, uh, I'll leave some string in it. So there'll be, you know, if I went to the trouble of putting the string in in the first place, it makes life easier if you still have it later when uh, you want to pull yeah. the, that expansion wire through. Yeah, I like if, it. If you have a 50-foot pieces or 50 foot tube put 110 feet and like loop it back on itself or you've got room to pull whichever it's way so it's not a you only you can only pull one way or whatever like yeah, having double of it will definitely uh especially when that last line that you're kind of you know really stretching the capacity of it just tug that one along and then you know <laughs> from then on you're like okay i gotta get a new one in there but yeah that that will make a world of difference for sure all right let's uh let's take a a quick tour of my shock here. So I'm going to share on the screen. There we go. Can everybody see that? I can. All right. So this is what I'm actually looking at right now. So this is what is directly in front of me. Uh, this image is not live. This is the picture I took earlier. So, uh, but what we've got here is what I what I've slowly built out as I've gone down the, the road of uh, amateur radio operation. So, I don't know if you can see up in the top here, there's a little Morse code key that's hiding up here on the top bench here. So, that's something that you may or may not get into. It is not required anymore. A lot of people think that you have to do the Morse code test in order to get your ham radio license. That uh, That is no longer a thing. It is still an accreditation that you can get, uh, something I'm slowly working towards. Uh, but it isn't required to actually get your license anymore. So if that's been scaring you for a while, now you, now you know you don't need it. Uh, Joel's got a, a good question. How do you run the coax to the wall and ground your equipment? 
fantastic question. So uh, you can't see it, but in behind the monitors, I've got a ground bus. Uh, so all it is is a copper plate that's mounted on the wall and all of my equipment uh, I've got um, so just flat uh, braided uh, connectors that go to that ground strap or go sorry that go to that ground point and then I've got a ground wire that runs up and it goes out here to my uh, my ground rod in the back uh, so I do still have to connect everything to the service ground as, as part of uh, code. I'm getting there. Uh, any inspectors that are listening, just plug your ears for a second. Uh, so we're, we're getting there, though. I'm slowly making process and progress into getting that done. Uh, but everything goes to the, the ground rod that I've got out the back here. Uh, I've got some lightning arresters on there as well. So the cable comes out in behind. So if you see, we'll start lower right here. A um, little black box here. That's my base station for uh, HF. So that does all my worldwide communication. And there's a cable. You kind of see it in the back here, the thicker black cable there. Uh, so that cable goes to the amplifier that's over here uh, on the left. And then there's another cable that goes out the back. And what I've done is I've run uh, LMR 400, which is a bear to work with. But uh, it's a nice cable. It's not cheap, but it can handle a lot of power. There's a lot less loss in it. Um, so I chose to run that and what it does, I run it actually in the walls here. Uh, I made some plates in the back. Um, if anybody wants to see pictures of the plates, I can take some pictures later and send them to you. Just flip an email to feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, but I made a couple of plates um, with some connectors um, just to clean it up so that in the, on the wall, all you see is um, similar to a plate that would be around your uh, light switch, but it's got a, uh, a uh, connector for the coax cable coax cable screws on the, that connector and the wire goes up the wall here uh, across the ceiling there's a drop ceiling and it goes out the back wall uh, and that's because uh, I'm in the basement so it goes out the back wall which is underneath the deck and that connects to my uh, my ground rod and then from there it goes out to the antennas in the backyard I've got my UHF VHF antenna actually up on the the roof coming off of the uh, the chimney and then I've got an off-center fed wire uh, antenna it's about 277 feet long uh, so it's a good long antenna, uh, but it's up about 30-ish feet in the backyard. Uh, but that, And I just literally drilled holes in the wall here to get the cable out, and then I sealed it all off. Uh, in the future, I want to get a junction box and, and run the cables into the junction box and then put the lightning arresters in there and then run it out to the ground rod. But that's uh, that's in the future because this initial install was just a quick, uh, you know, okay, I'm kind of getting into this operation and I want to get some antennas outside, and that was the best path I could find. Uh, but I do have to clean it up a little bit, make it a little bit more future-proof. Because right now, literally, the cable's through the wall, and it's all sealed off. I can't do any more cables unless I drill more more holes, and I'd really rather not drill more. So I'll probably do one big hole and then do a, a box, a conduit box uh, outside, and then bring all the cables in that way. But And that's where crimping and soldering comes into play, because I'll have to take the ends off and do it all again. But it's... Uh, that's how I did it. But like I said, if anybody wants pictures of the actual grounding system and behind the monitors here, um, I can certainly yeah. send them off. Yeah, because I have uh, more questions than anything, but we'll, I'll ask <laughs> when that day comes. Yeah, yeah. And, and when we and when we go down the road of grounding and bonding, you are going to set everybody off because everybody's got a, an opinion on how that is supposed to be done. Um, there is a great book uh, put out by the ARRL, which is uh, the American version of um, Radio Amateurs of Canada. 
that book uh, written by Ward Silver, who uh, is quite the expert in this topic. And he goes into great detail about how to properly do this. It's the book cost, and I think it's about 25 bucks from Radio World. Uh, so radioworld.ca, well worth the investment. I'm slowly working through it to kind of change up what I've done here uh, and bring it a little bit more up to code because may as well be safe with things, right? I don't want to blow my equipment up, especially if I get a lightning strike. That's kind of my main concern. But uh, that's that's kind of the grounding system in the back. A uh, little bit more advanced for where I want to go with, uh, with the talk tonight, but there you go. You got a little extra. Uh, so the HF system down here, uh, like Sorry, I said, Eric. that was my worldwide. Yeah, go ahead, Scott. The um, You're talking about the LMR 400 being a bear to work with just because oh it's a very stiff... Yes. And flexible, like you know, you're. Yes. It's it's not like sort of a, a very supple wire that you're trying to pass through. No. You're wrestling with it the whole way. Yes, it's very thick. It's very hard to, to work with. Uh, they do make an ultra flex version, and I I wish I had learned about that before I ordered just the regular stuff, because the ultra flex, as the name suggests, is easier and flexes a lot better. Uh, it's it's overkill but I want to future-proof my cabling, right? So I, I knew that I was going to be moving to uh, an amplifier and such. I want to kind of future-proof things and run the LMR 400. And that's a whole other rabbit hole we could go down about what type of coax to use and 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 what's better than what. And again, just do some research and figure out what works best for you. And I figured LMR 400 would be the, the, uh, the best run for me. And so I did it that way. But ultimately, as long as you've got an antenna and you can get on the air, get on the air um, okay so beside that radio so beside the hf radio we've got this little guy here and this would be a considered a, a mobile radio no ah, no no <laughs> we're not there yet <laughs> no, i don't have a cd but no, um, no, yeah it does kind of look similar <laughs> it does look similar but actually you can zoom in here Look at that. Oh. I, I know it's not, but I just felt yeah. like a lot of people get mad at that. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> so right here what we've got is my two UHF VHF uh, radios. So these are considered mobile radios. So like I said at the beginning where I kind of got confused, it was like, okay, they're mobile, so they got to be in something that moves. Hopefully my shack is not moving, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. These are permanently installed. And yes, it's two by four wood there that I just built a little shelf for them. It, it is what it is, right? And it if works. If your shack moves, you're in more trouble than you think. You got, you got a problem, right? So I still use the mount. So they will typically come with a mount that you can mount them in a vehicle, uh, in a boat or whatever it is you got to mount them in. Uh, but I just, like I said, built this two by four shelf and they sit right here. Nice and comfortable. Uh, they don't go anywhere, but... I can use them for uh, communicating with uh, the repeaters in town here. Uh, these guys, similar setup. So there's a coax cable that runs just to the back wall to a plate that I made. And then the cable runs up the walls and out. Goes same thing, goes to a lightning arrestor and then goes up to the antenna on the roof of the house. Um, and these guys actually share the same antenna. So this box up the top here, it switches so I can switch it from A to B and it just changes what radio gets the antenna. Um, so normally I'm set on this guy here, uh, the one with the orange screen. Uh, so it's a TYT 9800, uh, same radio that I have installed on my truck. Uh, so I like to keep things simple, keep them the same. So the same radio in the shack, in the house, or in the truck. Uh, and then the one beside it is a DMR radio. Uh, so it's an MD 9600, again, a TYT. 
uh, but it does DMR and we could go down a whole rabbit hole of what DMR is, but it's a uh, digital mode of, of radio. So I can pick up local fire and a couple other uh, repeaters in the area uh, that my other guy can't do. So that's another fun thing that you start getting into when you, when you get into this is different radios do different things and you're not going to get one that does everything. Um, so you kind of have to go down the rabbit hole of what do I want to get into? What do I not want to get into? What do I find interesting? What do I not? Right. Uh, there's yeah. going to be a lot of things in the hobby that you just don't care about, but the next guy does uh, and vice versa. So that's kind of the fun part is you can get into all kinds of different things uh, and experiment with all kinds of things and figure out what you like and what you don't. Uh, right beside these guys, we get back into the HF world. So this big green behemoth that uh, is sitting off to the left is an amplifier. And what like it does. stole that out of one of the Deep and Bunker Museums. <laughs> So yeah, so this this is an older uh, this is an older it's a tube amplifier. Um, it's uh, it's quite old, uh, but they still exist because they're built like tanks. Like, yeah, yeah, and, they, that thing will outlast everything else you purchase. Oh yeah, yeah, this yeah. could take a nuclear blast and probably still be fine. Hundred percent. Uh, and it came as a kit. That's kind of the cool thing. So this is a Heath kit SB two twenty, and I think it was in the sixties they came out, and you could just build them. They came they came in parts. They weren't assembled. Um, you had to build it. And it came with instructions, of course. But was there a reason thing. for that? Like, was there something that if it was built something or they were just like, screw it, we're not going to assemble it, you do it? That's half the thing with ham radio. You can get a lot of kits. And they come in pieces and you put them together. Uh, okay. So this just came as a kit. It's just a ham radio thing. It's a, an electronics kit. You build it. You now know how to use it. You know how to change it. You know how to fix it. Yeah. Right, which is kind of fun. Um, so I have torn this thing apart and put uh, put some uh, what's called a soft key into it, uh, and then I I've got a few more parts coming for it. So I just recently grabbed this from a from a local ham. So it's uh, it's in the process of getting some upgrades and some modifications. But what the fun thing is, is it takes my HF radio, this little guy here down in the lower right, and it amplifies the uh, the power from the hundred watts that this guy can put out to in and around the range of six to seven hundred so it just like i said makes me a little bit louder so other people around the world can hear me where those they may not have been able to hear me before Uh, so it's go ahead you got a question so so, yeah so is that like inner swappable parts that you can buy like the base model kit that'll do some things and then you've got like potential upgrades that would be yeah so that's the, the upgrades just improve on the, the design. And because it's an older amp, some of the parts are going to start failing in it. So some of the capacitors are now old. They're getting weaker. Um, so I've got a new a new board coming that's got a whole bunch of new capacitors. So i got to put that together and put it in. Um, you know, the, the soft key just protects my, my current radio from getting zapped by it because it puts out a lot more power than, um, than it, my current radio would accept. Um, so we're getting kind of into the weeds here. Uh, but okay. it's uh, again, it's it's kind of fun to just experiment with this stuff, and this just makes my ability to communicate uh, that much better on poorer days where the signal isn't as loud. Uh, what else do we have here? So the two monitors is always nice. Not a requirement at all in ham radio, but it's nice to have just to be able to use different programs. So you, I've got my actual radio interface on my computer on this screen, my logging software on this screen. So as I'm talking to people, I can punch in who I'm talking to. Uh, 
and keep a log of it so that I know in the future who I've talked to, when I've talked to them, what frequency I've talked on them, I uh, talked to them on, and uh, and how far I've gotten and our, our um, signal reports as well. Uh, Joel's got a great question that I kind of skipped over. Uh, power supply for all the radios. That helps. That's actually something else that really threw me off when I first got uh, got into this is I figured it was just like anything else. You go out, you buy the radio, it has that little plug on the back that you plug into the wall, and away you go. <laughs> Not it. These guys run on DC. Your wall power is AC. So what I've got, and I don't know if you can see it in the top corner here, because uh, it's kind of hidden by the Morse key. There's a little black box here. And that's my power supply. So it's a little Kenwood power supply. It's about a 30 amp supply. And it, uh, it powers. So what happens is I've got the, uh, the cable that comes from here. And again, it's hidden in behind the monitors here, but um, I've got an Anderson power pole distribution block. And so this power supply plugs into the distribution block that's just in around here by the monitors. And then everything else here all plugs into that distribution block. So this power supply powers everything. And um, Anderson power poles is just a, a standard. So you can put it on the end of your power connectors and you can move them around. So they just let you disconnect and reconnect uh, fairly easily um, without having to guess at, okay, I've got a ring terminal here or a spade terminal there. It's just one type of connection. Then you can move it around. So if I wanted to pull one of these radios right now, I could just unplug it from the distribution block and behind. And I could plug it into one of my batteries that I have because my all my batteries have uh, Anderson power pole connections as well. So it's just a standard. Uh, and you see that a lot in ham radio where the uh, operators will use the, the Anderson power poles um, just to standardize everything. So it's always the same connection so you can interchange it if you have to move around. But uh, great question, Joel. Thanks for bringing that up. I completely forgot to, to touch on how all this is powered. Yeah, no, I 100% assumed you had a power bar back there with like nine thing plugs in, nine thing plugged in it. Technically, but it's it's not an AC power bar. It's an it's a distribution block. Same kind of idea. Yeah. It's basically yeah. a power bar, basically a power bar, but it it's using DC power, yeah. and the plugs are different. Yeah, but power bars. Yeah, Anderson power poles are intended for DC, and they also allow a much higher amperage. Correct. Right. Yeah. You got it. And like I said, just standardizing everything <laughs> makes life easy. And that's another thing that you might want to get into. And I mentioned crimpers. Um, Anderson PowerPole has a very specific crimper uh, that you would want to use, that uh, you have to use in order to actually make those connections and, and make the uh, uh, the connection on your wire. So challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else do we have on the table here? So obviously keyboard and mouse. Um, so if you're that's one other thing with, with ham radio that I get asked quite a bit uh, for people that are kind of starting out is, yeah, okay, so I pick up the microphone and I just, I talk, right? And yeah, that is primarily my mode of operation is just voice, right? I like talking to people and chatting and making contacts that way, but you can interface your computer and do everything with the computer uh, in some digital modes on on HF, so the worldwide communication type thing. Uh, and Joel in the, the live chat there and, and uh, Kevin, who's in the little preparedness group in my local area here, uh, <clears throat> we're playing around with that the other day, like I mentioned, doing the uh, the digital chat over uh, HF. So um, there's, there's definitely that option. It's uh, quite the big rabbit hole and a little bit of a learning curve to get your uh, radios all hooked into your computer. But once it works, it works quite well. And uh, you can get some pretty serious distance with it as well. 
And I can actually show you a picture of that. So we'll get into that too now. So share the screen. Before the end, I have this question about the rubber duck. <laughs> All right, so let's see here if this will come up now. Here we go. So just before the show, I was goofing around with the Vera AC, which is a text-based like digital chat. Uh, so it's interfacing with the computer and it sends a signal out from the HF radio out up the wire in the wall, out to the backyard, into the antenna, radiates out, and we make contacts with it. Uh, so there's multiple operators in the world that use this software. Their computers are tied in their radio, whatever radio they're using, uh, and their computer is listening for my signal and vice versa. Mine's listening for theirs. We can then reach out to each other and go, hey, I want to connect. And we can start, we can do a connection between our two radios and then start a text chat back and forth. So just using the keyboard, similar to text messaging on your phone, but only over HF. Um, so I can see when the, the operator that I'm dealing with is typing, it'll say, hey, this person's typing and send the message. We receive it back and forth with our computers. So before the show, I was doing some setup to get everything ready to go. I just sent a beacon out and I just said, hey, I'm online right now. That's all the beacon does. It just sends a signal out to the world and says, I'm online on this frequency right now, ready to use this chat program. Uh, and here is all of the stations on the map that heard me. So we've got over here, uh, we're in California. So they heard me and all the way on the other side of the map, I made it to Slovenia. So, so the wait, fun wait. part with that, go ahead, Pierre. No, so them them hearing you, like, is that confirmation that they got what you're doing, or that's just the amount of people using the software? So these are stations that heard me beacon out and say, hey, I'm online. So my call sign is VE3EPN. I send a yeah. signal out that says, VE3EPN, I am online on this uh, software package. Um, so yeah. I'm available to chat, basically. So I'm just sending out a message going, hey, I'm here, I'm available to chat if anybody wants to chat. So all these other uh, operators put on this page. Um, so this is a, a website that logs that uh, just to get an idea of your propagation or where your signal is getting to. And so all these other operators have now logged on this website to say, oh yeah, we heard Eric saying, hey, I'm here, I'm available to chat. Oh, so okay, now so I can go to this website and see where these people heard that I'm available. So they have received my signal and they've just logged it to say, okay, we heard you, we know you're available. And now I can go here and it maps it out so I can see how far my, my signal got. Um, so like I said, I got as far as California and then Slovenia on the opposite side. Cool thing is I did that with five watts of power. That's it. I haven't reached that far. <laughs> so to, to talk about the power thing, I mean, picture, you know, the little tiny flashlight with a cup, you know, one or two AAA batteries in it versus a 100 watt floodlight. So you're talking across the world with the power of a little tiny flashlight. Yeah. So it's a good way to put it. Just curious out of this software, can you pre program your thing or your computer? So 
you said this was computer to computer. It is. This program. So can you yep. pre-program your computer that if something comes in and it made sense that the computer automatically does it or someone has to be sitting there to log this? So it's a lot of these computers or a lot of these, yeah, these computers are just sitting. You don't necessarily have to be in front of it for the software to log the fact that it's heard somebody. Uh, it it'll just sit and listen and constantly log. If you leave your computer on and the software running and you leave it available to listen to your radio, it will just constantly log what it's hearing. So uh, it, it, in order I'm to make assuming. contacts and actually talk to somebody, you have to physically be in front of the computer. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, these but these machines are just, I don't know if anybody's actually in front of them at the time when they hear me, uh, yeah. but they are listening and monitoring and they've recorded the fact that they can hear me. So obviously you have to communicate kind of clearly so that they understand what your call sign is and the computer software has to, you know, understand something. Yeah. It's not just like, you know, because it's the software, it knows that who the call sign is. Yeah. So, so you input all that during the setup. So it asks you what your call sign is and all that information. So you put that into the software initially. And this is just one example of propagation that I thought was kind of neat. Uh, there's yeah. all oh, kinds yeah. of no. different ways to do this. It, um, it is cool. Don't but it's uh, just, but, and, and the fact that running off of five watts, I can get the Slovenia is, is kind of neat, right? Yeah. I'm just uh, disappointed. There's not like one thing in Canada. <laughs> no, there's many. Uh, and then, yeah, a bunch of U.S. states. But yeah. uh, so it, it's kind of a neat mode, but this is digital mode. And it, again, it's whatever is kind of floats your boat for what you want to operate in. You don't have to use digital if you don't want to. But if you're looking at uh, emergency communications type of work, this might be something you might want to look into because, like I said, with five watts of power and a computer, and it can be just a laptop, it can be a little Raspberry Pi, it can be whatever you want for doing this. Okay, and so I'm what's... getting to California and Slovenia. And no, Pierre, I'm not talking about the pie that you eat. Yeah, so that's why I have many more questions because I assume that's not what you were talking about. But I want the rubber duck question first. Yeah, okay, so talk about <laughs> the Go software. For it, Scott. Um, this is just people who happen to be using the software. Like talking on HF, you can get further, you can have all sorts of other contacts. This is just, you right. know, several dozen people that happen to have the software up and running right now. Correct. Yep. Yeah, and I just thought it was kind of a, a neat example of how far the signal can reach and give you kind of an idea of what you can do with very little power. Because you always talk about everybody, as soon as you jump into the ham radio world, like, I want all the power. Five watts, Slovenia. Right? You, you don't need all the power. It's it's the propagation and how your signal gets there. Uh, the power just helps people hear you. Yeah. But you don't necessarily need all the power. Yeah, like I'm, I'm so curious. Like the, the power <laughs> thing's got me half confused and everything. Like, it, it, I, I, no, like I do electrical repairs, right? Like, so like yeah. I got to follow like 10 amp fuses, 5 amp fuses, stuff blows, you know, stuff will catch on fire and all that stuff. So, like, that's why I was earlier, I was like, okay, does it just amplify like more distance? Like, it can take more load. Like, I'm trying to relate it to something that I can easily take into right. consideration, right? Like a 20 amp fuse and a 5 amp fuse. Here's, like, here's the, the way I would put it. So if I turn my volume down on my microphone, yeah. I'm going to be quieter. So let's say I turn my microphone right down and you can barely hear me and that's five watts. Yeah. And then I crank my microphone right up and now I'm at a hundred watts and you can hear me like I'm sitting beside you. Just turns the decibels up on my voice. Okay. That's all it does yeah. is it makes it easier for you to be heard. 
Um, okay, that's probably the best analogy I can come up with for. Yeah, so uh, yeah, power, everybody gets really hung up on power, right? Right. Yeah. At the at the far end, it's also a question of how sensitive the receiver is. Yep. So if a lot of the guys guys and gals using this software right now have elaborate setups with very sensitive receivers, it's easier for them to hear someone speaking very quietly. Uh, rather than Perfect. having to yell to to get all that way exactly that's another good way of putting it okay, okay. yeah everybody gets hung up on power all the time when you first get into things that's what you you think makes all the difference it's not necessarily the power it's all the antenna but that's also because a lot of us grew up on home improvement <laughs> true right <laughs> good point uh, so let's let's touch quickly on the rural versus urban uh, question as well so the big thing that you're going to see with uh, rural setup especially if you're getting to the high frequency world is your sound floor is going to be way way lower so what i mean by that is when you're working in the the hf world you're going to hear a lot of basically static if you if you fire up an HF rig in an urban type of setup because there's all kinds of things that are making noise on the frequencies a lot of it's power based so your power lines uh, a lot of the electronics that you have in your house that kind of stuff is, is all making noise that you're going to pick up if you're out in a rural environment you're not going to have all of that surrounding you you're going to be I would assume on some kind of an acreage away from a lot of people your sound floor is going to be relatively lower bonus because now you can hear a lot more uh, it was like scott mentioned sensitivity wise you're not trying to listen through all of that noise flip that around in an urban setting you've got a whole bunch of people around you uh, a whole bunch of things happening dense population a lot of power lines all over the place a lot of electronics that are noisy uh, am stations uh, like radio broadcast stations all kinds of things that can interfere with uh, or make noise on your hf side of things so it's going to be louder. So you have to push through that. And there's ways to, to get through that and, and make it better, uh, but kind of goes beyond the, the scope of tonight's chat. Uh, so on, on that side of it, with the rural side, you're probably best because your sound floor is lower. UHF, VHF side of the house, you're probably going to have access to a lot more repeaters if you're in an urban type of environment because they're just more present right there's more towers around there's more ways to set them up there's probably more ham operators as well that are willing to maintain repeaters in that area if you're out in rural area middle of nowhere type of setup there's chances of being a repeater maybe but you're going to have access to a lot more repeaters if you're in a, an urban type of environment um, versus a, a a rural type of environment uh touching on your rubber duck question up here uh, yes, getting into you. types of uh, types of antennas again in a rural versus urban environment it really depends and like i said you're going to hear that a lot uh it depends on your setup right in the rural type of world uh, you might have a lot of space right so example i've got enough space that i can run a 277 foot antenna here and still have room i can still extend it a bit if i wanted to uh if you're in an urban type of setup you might be stuck with a small little postage stamp property you might not be able to run a large wire type of antenna you might be getting into a vertical antenna which as it sounds it's uh, it runs vertical instead of a horizontal wire type of antenna 
Uh, or you might be stuck with just a, a rubber duck, which is literally the little antenna that comes stock with your handheld radio. Um, you'll hear a lot of hams refer to that as a rubber duck antenna. Uh, and it's just a little rubber antenna that's on the top of your uh, your handheld radio. So it the, the urban versus rural is, uh, is, is an interesting topic uh, because it, like I said, it kind of depends on where you're set up, how your setup is. Uh, in the urban world, also, you might run into a lot more restrictions versus the rural world as far as what you can set up. Um, a lot of ham operators like to get towers so they can put antennas up nice and high. You might have restrictions in your municipality that say you can only have a tower at X height or you can't have a tower at all. Uh, in the in the ur- or the rural type of setup, you might be able to do whatever you want or maybe no one's going to see it, right? So... There's those options as well. So it, the urban versus rural is always something that comes up. Uh, it it kind of depends on your setup. Uh, you're going to have uh, a little bit more problems with signal in the urban type of setup. If you're looking for UHF, VHF, and you can't get an antenna up a little bit over buildings, especially if you're dealing with apartment buildings all around you, you're just you're not going to get as much uh, distance through repeaters as you would maybe in a rural area where you're not competing with uh, towering buildings and, and that kind of thing. But uh, as far as setup goes for antennas, it would be the same. You want something outside, you want something up high if you can get it up high. Um, and we're talking like 30-ish feet, uh, give or take. The higher the better, but if you can get about 30 feet, then you're, you're laughing. Uh, and yeah, it's it's really what space you have available to you. Um, there's options for every every setup. That's the fun part is you can experiment and, and make something that's going to work in your setup. Uh, but rural and, and urban, it just depends on your uh, on what you've got property-wise and what you can actually put in uh, and, and operate with. Uh, any comments on that, Scott? Uh, again, it all depends what your goals are. If uh, being able to talk to your rural neighbor you know, and just two little walkie talkies is going to do just fine. Then that's the goal you're trying to accomplish. You don't need a hunt, you know, 200 foot HF antenna to, to accomplish that goal. If you have good line of sight to a local repeater and you're looking to talk to people in town. Great. If you're interested in talking to Europe, you're going to set it up differently. Um, I mean, one of the things I have in my notes is talking about uh, NVIS, which is something you alluded to earlier in your, uh, your preps. Um, depending how you set up your your high frequency your HF antenna, you can talk across the world, but it, it can actually be hard to talk you know, 100 kilometers away. You kind of skip that area. There's a skip zone, um, but there's ways of adjusting your antenna so that you can talk to that. Because as a prepper, that's what I'm interested in is being able to talk you know one or two towns over, talk to. Uh, you know, my buddy at his cottage, 90 minutes away. So kind of just understanding what your goals are and there's all sorts of just different ways of accomplishing it. It's really, it's a, it is a hobby full of rabbit holes. (laughs) It sure is. That's, uh, that's half um, the fun of it. I was, I was going to say the, um, and I don't know, Eric obviously would know much better, but there's uh, a new, uh, and, and that's this is how I was able to communicate with uh, Eric being so far away is there's a new, um, I don't know, it's it's the URU, but I, I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it links up a whole bunch of different repeaters 
all through, like I, I'm talking for Ontario, all through the GTA, um, I believe Mississauga, Toronto, up to um, the the South River, a little village out in the middle of nowhere, south of North Bay, is, is in this link of all these repeaters. So you could use that five watt handheld on two meters with a repeater to talk to somebody in downtown Toronto. Yeah, you can, and it's uh, yeah, it's kind of a neat setup. It is the uh, the URU uh, network, so it's VE. I think it's VE three URU. If it's not three, it's uh, VA three. Can't remember which way it goes, but um, so it's a repeater system that has a whole bunch of repeaters all linked up from southern Ontario right up to just uh, northern Ontario, and it's it, it's a neat little uh, setup, and it it does it all ver- uh, via uh, radio frequency links, so it's not uh, not internet. Based uh, connections to the repeaters, it's all uh, radio frequency links, from what I've been told, and uh, yeah, it's handy. But uh, you're getting a little, little bit advanced when you start getting into bouncing off repeaters and all that kind of stuff. It it all works on its own as you transmit into it, but you got to learn where those repeaters are and how to get into them. Uh, it takes some time, but that's the part of learning and figuring things out and reaching out to your local ham club. That's how I learned about this repeater system is through the guys in my club. They just said one day, "Hey, by the way, have you heard about this new repeater?" and perfect got all the settings for it put it in and away we go so it's uh there's one thing to take out of it is reach out to your local ham club and, and get some hands-on uh, experience with, uh, with the folks that have been doing it for years um, and then as scott yeah, uh, alluded to the nvis is uh is definitely something that uh, is kind of big in the preparedness world because it gets you that local comms and then using the hf for the worldwide comms is is nice as well uh, one thing i'm going to touch on jeff you mentioned two meter when hams talk about different frequencies, uh, you can describe them as the frequency in megahertz or the wavelength. So oftentimes shorthand, if you describe two meters, it's just a lot easier to say that than you know describe one point yeah you know, 144 megahertz. Like it, it it means the same thing, but it's just sort of a, a better shorthand or a faster shorthand. Yeah, I did find that kind of confusing when I first started out too, is yeah, people would just kind of interchange them. I'm like, two meters, how do I set that on my radio? I don't see a button for two meters. And yeah, it's the frequency range, but people say two meters and it's like Scott said, it's just easier to say than the mouthful of one one four four point blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's just say two meters and then people kind of know where you're, you're operating at. But just getting used to the terminology does take some time. Uh, I but, thought it's the distance you had to stand away from someone for the radio to work. Well, you know, I like to stand at least that far away from people, but I don't like people. So <laughs> you and me both. Mike. It's the distance <laughs> of the antenna attached to your tinfoil hat there, Peter. Right. Hey, I, I switched that to a blue umbrella. <laughs> oh boy. Um, yeah, so like I said, there's a there's a whole rabbit hole you can go down with uh, with ham radio, and that's why we keep doing uh, episodes on it because people keep asking questions, and it's it's nice to get the questions because then we can help answer them, and I get to nerd out on ham radio for another episode, so it's uh, it's always so, good. I'm always happy to nerd out with with ham radio stuff. Let's so uh, let's have, share my screen here, and then where you go up here. I, I have two, I guess, kind of questions. Is um, so one of them is recommendations for someone getting into it first setup um let's keep it budget friendly and also personal experience like is there something to completely avoid 
this is top of the line like you know there's you know something to avoid like the stuff you get on wish compared to you know amazon might be better but then if you go to the store you spend some extra stuff so like just you know a baseline for what's budget friendly and you know recommendations to set up and just what to avoid from bad experience budget friendly let's start out with free that's pretty budget friendly so if you're kind of curious about what uh what ham radio sounds like or you just want to start uh, tuning around the frequencies. Uh, first off, our last ham radio episode, they did a whole walkthrough of what things sound like and, and what you can kind of expect when you turn the radio on. But as well, if you check out uh, Kiwi uh, SDR, uh, so that is a software-defined radio. So a lot of people will take these devices, install them in their ham shacks, connect them to a receive antenna, so something that's really set up to listen uh, and hear all kinds of signals. They'll connect that device to the internet and then if you go to Kiwi SDR, so just Google Kiwi SDR, they're all linked into that website. So you can pick from a list of them around the world and go, okay, log into it, and it's all free to do. And then you have control of that uh, that device, and you can f- tune around the frequencies and start listening to the things. You can listen to whatever frequencies that antenna can hear. Uh, so local radio stations, ham stations, whatever they kind of allowed you to tune to. Uh, and it doesn't cost you a dime except your internet connection. And you can connect to any of them around the world. So I use them for testing. If I want to hear what I sound like on my radio, I'll tune to a frequency that I know is clear and I'll transmit and I'll listen on the SDR to hear A, how far I can get and B, what I sound like when I'm transmitting out. Uh, but you can use them too for just curiosity if you want to cruise around the uh, the HF frequencies. You can. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's it's a neat little setup. Uh, Broadcastify yeah. is uh, is a website um, that you can probably find. I know you can find emergency services and you can find a few repeaters on there as well. Uh, it's a little bit trickier to find uh, those repeaters, but uh, you can look around there. Radio Reference as well is another website that has some live repeaters on uh, on their website, so you can just hit play and listen. Depending on how popular the repeaters are, you may or may not hear anything. You do have to do a lot of listening before you actually hear something. Um because not all of them are busy 24-7, 365. Uh, but those are a couple of free options for you. Moving up, if you want to put some hardware in your hand, uh, I always point people towards the, the Baofeng radios. They're they're cheapy little Chinese radios. They're, I don't know, when I was selling them, they're around 60 bucks. Uh, yep. Fantastic little radios. Uh, a lot of people will knock them, but it's something to start you out, right? You can find them on Amazon now. Um, yeah, they're... They're very, they're well documented at this point, easy to use. If you break them, you're out, sixty bucks, yeah. and they get you on the air, right? They get you at least able to, and that's what uh, Jeff has there. He's showing on the screen, and they they get you, they get you going, and you can talk on your local repeaters, and that's uh, that's how I got bit by the ham radio bug. Is I had one of those and I started playing around with it. <laughs> Next thing I know. Now my entire desk is a big shack, as you saw. So, uh, yeah. But those those will get you started, and they'll do just fine. And then eventually you can upgrade from there. But that's where I kind of point people first. Start out with the SDRs and the free stuff. Move into a little Baofeng radio, get it uh, in your hand, play around with that. And then from there, I usually will we'll show people the, the HF work, and then they, uh, they spiral off from there. Uh, I'm going to jump in and mention Repeater Book hasn't come up yet. There's a fantastic resource uh, that's essentially a database of all of the publicly available repeaters 
all over the place. So if you're interested in getting into this, looking at your you're in an urban environment versus a rural environment, look at repeater book, see if there's any repeaters listed around you, and all of a sudden, just your little five watt Beofang hand talkie might be perfect because you happen to have a repeater you know, a couple of, couple of kilometers from you, and you can sort of start exploring with that really easily. Um, so again, repeater book is just a, a very well, uh, well-liked resource that a lot of people use. Yeah, and I'll use repeater book when I'm traveling. Uh, and get your chinfoil hat out. It uses GPS on your phone and then tells you what repeaters are in your general vicinity. And then you can program your radio accordingly. So if you're traveling around, you'll always have a repeater. But same thing, if you're at home and you're not quite sure what repeaters are available to you, if you put it on your phone, it'll tell you what's what's in your area. Or you can just go to repeaterbook.com and look it up manually if you want as well. But uh, yeah, fantastic resource. And, and fairly well up to date. There's some older stuff in there, but um, most of it's pretty well maintained and, and fairly accurate. So it's yeah, great resource. Uh, and just quick reminder, if you are uh, doing that and you're looking at the repeaters and you happen to have a bail fang in your hand uh, or whatever radio, you do need a, a license in order to be able to transmit to those repeaters. Uh, but once you've got that license, you can listen all you want. But once you've got that license, you can transmit out and, and away you go. Speaking of licenses, <laughs> uh, one thing we haven't really talked about is FRS radios. So family radio service are the little simple use sealed unit walkie talkies that you see you know people using at ski clubs you see uh you know store staff using them to talk amongst themselves um they don't require any license they're great for you know just sort of talking around a property talking around um you know again if your goal is just to be able to talk to your your neighbor your rural neighbor uh you know kilometer away that might be a simple elegant solution um so there's frs and gmrs which in canada are pretty much interchangeable neither needs license you can do all sorts of things but there's a lot of restrictions on them they can only do sort of two watts uh, or half a watt depending um that you can't have removable antennas that's why they're kind of these sealed units that you, you buy as a pair or a three pack um canada versus the states they're handled very differently in the states uh you still have your frs radios but gmrs is a lot more open uh you know whether there's licensing issues but all of a sudden you don't need to have uh a fixed antenna so you can have mobile units in cars and um, one of the the notes uh, or the jokes within our notes was referring to Nada Rubicon, who's a fantastic YouTuber and talks about stuff. And he does a lot of off-roading stuff where GMRS is perfect for him because you're just trying to talk vehicle to vehicle within a, a kilometer or two. So that's a much better setup for what, um, again, trying to accomplish his goals. Um, so sort of understanding uh, those things. So yes, unfortunately in Canada, we, we don't have uh, GMRS repeaters and GMRS base stations and stuff like that. Uh, but without a license, if you're just looking to be able to sort of talk around uh, you know, within your neighborhood or you know, if you're going out hunting and you just have, you know, you got guys 
you know, different tree stands a kilometer apart, that might be a simple, elegant solution that's going to meet your needs, get you comfortable talking on a radio, sort of understand how line of sight works, how you know, push breathe talk uh, <laughs> works. But, but it says I can hit 22 miles, it says on the package. And if you stand on top of a beautiful mountain on a clear day, and I'm standing on a mountain 22 miles away, we can probably talk. Yeah, so, uh, go, sorry, go ahead, Pierre. Yeah, I, I can honestly say, so FRS stands for Family... Family Radio Service. I, yep. I learned something new today. And like, GMR, I, I, literally, I literally did not know that when you said it. I was like, "Well, fuck, that makes sense. It follows all the syllables." But I'm like, <laughs> "And there's one the explicit things, button, right?" Like, and and uh, GMRS is just like general mobile radio service. So in the states, it tends to be a little more commercial. Whereas in Canada, like if you walk into any big box store and pick up a clamshell with a couple of radios in it, odds are they're GMRS radios because they just have a few more channels available than FRS radios. Are, are they interoperable? Yes, it's just a fun. So when you look at uh, Eric's radio, uh, big radio setup, you have sort of fine tuning of all these frequencies. On these ones, they have very defined frequencies. So you click to channel number three. And yeah. on my radio, channel number three is exactly this frequency. And on this other brand of radio, it's exactly the same frequency. So the idea is you're able to just talk interchangeably as long as you're both on channel three. Uh, and then, I mean, you can get to, uh, more rabbit holes. You know, there's sort of privacy codes and sort of little things you can add in. But the function, essentially, that radio has 20 or 22 channels programmed into it. Uh, that you can just sort of change a little number on it. And if the number on both of them match, you should be able to talk. You don't need a license. It's sort of a very fun, easy way to, to get into it. Yeah, I, I was just thinking, are they interswappable? As in, if I go to the US and bring mine, am I going to be able to contact someone there or vice versa, right? They come up and they bring their yes. you know, non-ham GMRS radio. Yep. Will it work with my FRS radio and vice versa? Same frequencies. Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Not that far. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a it's a North America standard for FRS and GMRS, but in the, in the states, GMRS is a licensed service, so you have to have a uh, a license in order to use it. FRS is the family frequency still. It's it's an unlicensed, but in Canada, there's no license for FRS or GMRS. That's the only difference in America. You need the the GMRS license for. Whatever reason they decided to have that. All right. Well, so I think we've covered off some of the basics with with ham radio. That was kind of the point for this episode. I just wanted to uh, cover off, um, you know, some of the different terminology, what some of the things look like, and and just some of the uh, things that I kind of ran into when I was first uh, getting into the hobby. Um, if any other panelists have any last minute things that they want to toss in as well, or. Anybody in the live chat have any final questions that they uh, they want answered before we uh, we call their quits for uh, for this episode? And I'm I'm certainly sure we're going to have uh, ham radio version four, five, six, seven. It's it's um, such a popular topic. Uh, Arnie earlier had asked, sorry, Ernie uh, earlier had asked about any leads for uh, groups, and wherever you are, um, to your point earlier, Eric, that. Th 
these that ham clubs tend to be incredibly welcoming people that love Good having point. people come in. Um, they're very technologically minded people. So odds are there's going to be a website. So wherever you are, if you start, you know, just sort of a, a simple search of your province, your state, you know, your city, amateur radio, you're going to find something pretty quickly. Um, and those guys tend to be responsive. Like the local radio club here, I'm not part of, but I'd sent, um, just sent a message saying, hey, what is the height of your repeater? Uh, when I was playing around looking at my buddy's, my buddy's cottage, like, okay, what height do I need to hit to be able to get clearance? Okay, I know this repeater is 120 feet in the air. Perfect. Yeah, but they're super happy to, to respond. So wherever you are, there will be people interested in helping you along. And that brings up another great point that I hadn't touched on yet is you will find a lot of the ham operators are very preparedness minded, which is awesome. I had no idea that was even a thing when I first got into this. I just liked the electronic side of it and the, the radio side of it. A lot of operators, if you start talking about, uh, you know, you're into preparedness, will chat your ear off about everything preparedness. A lot of preppers are in this this space as well, which is Yeah, or, or just go down nice. the rabbit holes of like start talking to you about like frequencies and bandwidth and this, that, and you just, you don't yeah. want to be rude. So you kind of nod and smile like that <laughs> happens where he's like, you know, oh, I did that. And I was yep, just like, can. I'll leave. And then all of a sudden they'll, all of a sudden they'll start talking about. to him. Yeah. They'll talk about frequencies and bands. And the next thing you know, they're talking about freeze dried food. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, to, okay. to your, to your point, Eric, um, sort of my instructions for some of my less prepper minded family and friends, like, if anything ever happens, look around the neighborhood and find the house with a lot of antennas. <laughs> That's a great place to start. That's why I try to hide mine. And, and my advice to people is you should have listened prior to this. Now you're on your own. And Ernie's got another good question in the live chat here. Uh, wondering what your power supply when you lose home power. So that's actually a good one to talk about as well in the, in the ham radio world. You can run your radios off of just a regular car battery if you wanted to, or uh, yeah, you know, most like four battery. Most right, most radios run in that twelve to thirteen point six volt range because that's what car batteries are. Yep, that's kind of why the the equipment started that way and the the big power supply that you have on your shelf up there supplies pretty much 13.6 volts <laughs> yep i've actually run that test just to, to simulate a power outage here i've run my equipment here on that i showed you in the picture off of just a regular car battery without issue no problem and then i'll take some of my more portable stuff out to parks and i'll do what's called parks on the air with it all battery powered so i'll hook like a little solar panel up to it that'll power the batteries and the radios just run off of a, a little life po for a battery a little light battery and no problem at all everything here is hooked up to the mains just because it's convenient and it's here right but if uh if the grid goes down or whatever i've got my solar panel i've got my battery i can run all this stuff off of that no problem which is the other fun stuff about ham radio it's not depending on a 110 circuit. Nope. You don't need a generator going or like a nope. crazy inverter of some sort, right? Like you don't. That, that, 
that's pretty cool. Battery and a solar panel. Way you go. It's fantastic. And just a solar panel if you're going to be a while without power to power that battery. That's all. So it's... Uh, yeah, and uh, Ernie's asked in the live chat here as well if a, if a deep cycle battery can do it. Absolutely. Yep. They just do it for longer. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so it's almost a better choice. Yeah, yeah, they they are. There, there's a cost associated with them, but deep cycles, and most of them are considered marine batteries, so like yeah. people that are on boats or whatever. So they just they just store more power, um, and they take longer. They just last longer. So you'll just if Eric doesn't have a deep cycle and you have a deep cycle, uh, you'll get three extra hours of playtime compared to Eric. Yeah, on a deep cycle like that. That's pretty much the best way of it. Downside is they're typically heavier. Yeah, they're heavier and there is a cost associated. It's not a crazy yep. amount. Like it's like 40, 50 bucks. Like it's not, you know, it's not a, a, a $600 investment. Like it, it is fairly low in considering buying two batteries compared to one. But yeah, there's a weight with it. Um, they tend to be bigger. So, yep. you know, there's ups and downs to both. Exactly, and that's that's for the the more the HF stuff. Actually, no, sorry the the mobile um, the mobile UHF EHF will run off of uh, battery as well. But when you're getting into the handhelds, that's where charging them. You got to come up with a system to charge them off the battery if you're going to be uh, concerned about that. But you can get little battery packs as well. Like you could run like AA batteries on the handhelds and that stuff if you you need something that's replenishable. Uh, so you can always do that as a backup. But there's all a kinds lot. of ways to power these things. A lot of little handhelds nowadays have also gone to a uh, USB-C standard right. as the charging. So yep. you can run it off your USB battery. Exactly. All kinds of options. Yeah. All right. Well, we've uh, we've nerded out for over an hour and a half on, uh, on ham radio. So I'd be happy to go longer. But I'm sure people listening to the audio version of this probably are at about the point where they're at their destination or have been to their destination and are heading back home now and listening to the second half. So and let's, we don't uh, want them to miss breakfast or no, we, miss supper. So. We don't know. So they, let's they uh, use the return trip to think of all the questions they want to send in to feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. You got it. <laughs> All right, with that, let's move into the podcast challenge, shall we? I think, Jeff, you're running with that. Yeah, oh, I'm going to have some fun with this one because I took some good heat when I was getting my license about uh, how long it was taking and I was getting pressured like crazy. So what comes around goes around. So to all the slackers out there, especially those on the panel, uh, specifically Brad, who decided to ditch us tonight, uh, and Terry, who's here, um, Get your license. It's not expensive. Uh, yes, it's a bit time consuming and a bit taxing on the brain sometimes, but um, get your license. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, to answer Paul's, uh, <laughs> answer Paul's question in the live chat, uh, if the video of this discussion will be available to watch in the future, uh, it will be, and uh, all past episodes as, as well are available on the uh, the YouTube channel. So if you fly over to YouTube, uh, Canadian Pepper Podcast, our entire back channel is in there as well. Uh, if you want to watch our, uh, our ugly mugs chat, you can. If not, there's the audio version as well in, in YouTube. So up to you. Uh, and but I don't think it does it on Facebook, though. Any questions that come out of this, feel free to drop them in the Discord, send, uh, send an email. Um, if we don't know the answer, we can find smart people that do. You got it. 
we will get to ham radio episode 22.7 probably we get there. Yeah. <laughs> like we we could i don't know if we will I, but we could <laughs> i'll be happy to get us there no problem <laughs> it's gonna be a spin-off podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah it might be uh and you got a weather blurb, blurb there jeff if i could talk Oof. yeah just a brief one so um as i mentioned in the news section uh new york suffered some serious flooding uh state of emergency has been declared i was kind of watching it paying attention to it it looked like there would be some significant rain but it really wasn't until it actually hit and then it just kind of decided oh, okay I like New York. I'm just going to stop here and rain for 22 straight hours. Um, the system just stalled right over top of New York and it just rained and rained and rained. Um, obviously we weren't anticipating it. It wasn't supposed to do that, which shows you how, again, how unpredictable weather is. Um, so, uh, and there are two tropical storms in the Atlantic right now. Um, it doesn't appear that either one of them is going to become a hurricane and they do not at this point appear to be a threat to land. Uh, one of them may come in the general vicinity of Bermuda, but at this point, uh, I don't think it's going to be anything significant. Um, I'll keep an eye on it. There's a, a hurricane section on the discord that if things start to get crazy, I, I start posting stuff in there. So, um, again, just, you know, keep an eye on the discord and, Listen to your local weather. Awesome. And a deal of the week. Can you put that in there, Pierre? Yes, I did. Um, so at Princess Auto right now, you can get a four-piece 30-cal ammo can box set. So it's a nice crate. comes with four polymer um, ammo cans with a carry tray. So it's kind of nice. Um, they're on sale for $29.99 instead of $50. Um, they're good to have for snacks in the back of the truck in case you ever get stuck anywhere, feed the kids, have some supplies in there. Um, but you can also build a mobile hand sandwich unit with them, which is always good relating to what, you know, um, but stack them deep, stop, you know, as much as you can while you still can. Um, well worth the price. I, I bought a bunch of them when they were on sale last time. I have three of them that still have a strap on them. I was like, I'll find something for them. Don't worry. <laughs> I did like, the exact same like, thing. Yeah, I bought like five of them. I was like, yeah, they're a good price. I brought them home and I was like, yeah. I opened up one now of what? them. Yeah. yeah, but it, it I, doesn't matter. I cracked right? one open. I put labels on it. I got it all set up with the way that I want. And now I just got to stock it. But the exact yeah. same thing. They are handy and they would they will help keep you organized, that's for yeah, sure. And and they're nice that you can put all four in a crate and you don't have to, you know, try and figure yeah. out how to carry four cans. Um yeah. they've got a seal in them. They are fairly water resistant. Um, well worth it, in my opinion. I would definitely uh, buy more if I wasn't moving because I don't need to move five more that I haven't used. <laughs> Just um, ship to your new place. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um but yeah, so it's that's uh, considering talking mobile units, the stat and everything we do. Um, they're on sale. Might as well hop on them while you can. And uh, they don't take up much room if you don't have a use for them right now. Awesome. All right. So we do have one email in the, uh, in the inbox. And I had to include this one. And you'll see why in a second. Uh, so it, uh, it reads, hey, guys, I've been uh, listening to the CPP Sundays for a long time. In fact, it's the only podcast I listen to. So that's awesome. 
I live in Upper Michigan, and I work for a phone internet company, volunteer firefighter, search and rescue member, and of course, ham radio operator. Awesome. Uh, I enjoy the content of your podcast. I feel as if I fit right in with the group, even though I don't have 27 can openers. And he says in brackets, yet. <laughs> I'm sure you'll get there. Uh, I've probably heard more of your episodes than Ian has. And that is why I had to put this email in. Because <laughs> who's Ian? I don't know who Ian is. The one of the intern. <laughs> He says, on a serious note, uh, thank you for your efforts. I know it takes a lot of time to produce this content. Keep up the great work. Signs it off, Bob. So uh, thanks for the email, Bob. And I appreciate the uh, the poke at Ian because uh, we all poke at him. So now we're getting listeners to do it too. So if you want to poke at Ian, uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. <laughs> Maybe he'll come back. Maybe he won't. With that, I will bring episode number 217 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please submit a review, a review. It does help other people find us. And we do record these shows live on uh, YouTube, Facebook if we have to, unless you're like Ian and you can't get onto any of them. Um, if you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast, and click the notifications tab. That gives you an alert when we are going live. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, you can just contact me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca, or I am frequently on the Discord. Uh, Scott, I am not responsible enough to have my own email, so the Discord uh, or feedback at prepperpodcast.ca is a great way to chat. Um, you can find me for off the wall customizing, but we're pretty much shutting down because we're moving. Um, I think we're on the tickety talk, book face, Instagrams, all that stuff. Um, technically, I have an account with the Discord, but I'll check it. Or you can find me Monday nights where I critique the government on the other CPP uh, on YouTube because we can't do anything else. And Terry, you can reach me at just my name, Terry L. Blackmore at hotmail.com or. You can find me on the annual Prepper Meet Facebook page if you're so inclined to do that. Go there and check that out. We'll say you have to. It's a fantastic event. If you haven't been, go. Well, that's and right. Let's put a plug in for that while we're at it. Oh, yeah. We plug it all the time. Yeah, we got to get out yeah. to that. Uh, you can check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. Get me there on the live chat. You can also email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Well, thanks for joining us. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe, and keep learning. <laughs>